0: You are listening to Visionaries and Leaders. Each week, we give you an insider's look into the minds of the greats. Learn what makes them tick and how they tackle the biggest challenges that brought them to the top. Here is your host, Richard
1: Lorenzo. Hey guys, so today we have S. Brian Smith on the show. Uh, Brian is known as the Founders Coach. He's also the founder and CEO of the Founders Organization. Brian, thanks for coming on Leaders and Visionaries.
0: Awesome. Thank you for having me, Richard.
1: Cool. So, Could you start us off by describing a little more about what you're currently working on and your background as an entrepreneur?
0: Absolutely. my background originally is in um, mostly real estate and finance. So it, it, right out of undergrad, I began working with an investment bank while I also was getting a MS in finance. I actually went the the MS as opposed to MBA route because um, I figured I didn't need to waste a lot of time with uh, management classes because at the uh, I guess I was 23 years old at the time. I figured that management comes down to if somebody's doing a good job, you continue paying them. If they're doing a fantastic job, you pay them more. And if they're doing a crappy job, you pay them a lot less or tell them to leave. And uh, I got into commercial real estate investment banking after I graduated with that MS. Um, One thing led to another. In 2008, I left the um, or right into 2009 I had left uh, the investment banking world and initially thought I was going to um, follow in the steps of all of these four hour work week aficionados and uh, somehow I was going to blog my way into being a millionaire and had a few other um, very, very small fledgling businesses that we had started up. Um, None of them really took, And I ended up back in Colorado helping a lot of the clients that I had worked with in the investment bank, um, work through some of the more difficult real estate situations that they'd found themselves in. So a lot of helping people, um, not lose, you know, tens of millions of dollars in some cases in like a hotel that they were building up in the mountains or that they had invested in almost as a hobby and, um, while I was doing that, we started a, uh, more tech focused group called, um, foreclosure jet, which was, uh, a way of aggregating, um, the most timely foreclosure information that was available in the state of Colorado. Um, that got me really back into looking at, um, opportunities in real estate. We built up, um, A consulting group that then because of the uh, the amount of deals that we were that we had access to and we're looking at we were able to identify a few deals that we wanted to pull the trigger on so the very first deal I did was master leasing a 30,000 square foot building that was completely vacant had been sitting there vacant for um, almost 10 years in pretty Pretty much, uh, or pretty bad disrepair at this point, and we converted that vacant space into about 65 artist studios and creative office spaces, and we re- we repeated that um, same approach multiple times throughout a uh, area of Denver called River North, and that led us into commercial real estate brokerage. It led us into um, some other co-working approaches, and Ultimately, I ended up with uh, a lot of different businesses and had a, a uh, realization at one point that um, I think my approach to business at the time closely mirrored the, uh, the ADHD that I suffered from. <laughs> and uh, I ended up um, through a number of, of different um, things that had happened both in the market and personally decided to, sell off literally everything that we were doing in Colorado and move to Manhattan Beach, California. And so after selling that, um, or in the, well, we were in the process of selling, I moved out here and told myself I wasn't going to start anything new for at least a year. Spent that year working, um, to mostly coach and advise entrepreneurs. Initially I was also looking for investments but um, realized that that really sort of tainted my um, conversations with entrepreneurs initially. And um, instead we went ahead and, or I went ahead and just focused on the coaching. And then more recently we started um, the founders organization, which was taking what I had learned from speaking with uh, over the previous two years, over 700 entrepreneurs who i had had actual coaching conversations with and seeing patterns and, and, you know, common needs amongst them and creating a group that could support a much larger number of entrepreneurs than any single coach could. Hmm. Does that sort of bring yeah. us to, that <laughs> to compiling a lot of things in uh, in a very short time?
1: Yeah. As, as a coach, what, what kinds of entrepreneurs do you typically look to work with?
0: I am typically working with people who are um, already in, I mean, it's, it's tough to say strictly based on, uh, on revenue, but typically if they have an operating company, they're at a minimum of three to $5 million in revenue or have at least that much in funding. And um, they have generally a team of at least about 10 employees because a lot of what we're working with is helping um, entrepreneurs Deal with a lot of the the challenges or, or founders deal with the challenges that that pop up as they face um, you know, really a, a completely different level of um, of problems and um, Mindset shifts and everything as their business grows because when you're the one person that's doing everything You approach a problem very very differently than when you have you know 10 or 15 people on your staff.
1: What do you think are the most common issues that founders face uh, when they're they're growing to that next level in terms of like their own mindset, their own personal ability? I feel like a lot of people look at what's wrong with your product. If you're not growing or you're not growing as, as fast as you want to be, they look at what's wrong with your product. They look at product market fit. But a lot of times maybe it's the founder's mindset or their own limitations that are holding them back.
0: Oh, absolutely. I mean, it, the easy way to look at it is you know, yes, oftentimes there's issues with product, the product market fit, all these other things, but if they're, the reason that I almost never touch those things is if the founder can see clearly and not be, and not have their, their vision clouded by their own, whether it's insecurities or attachments or whatever it might be, then those issues would have already been resolved or they would be working towards them most of the time the founders don't have the ability to see those things because, I mean, we've all seen it where somebody comes up with a great product, but it's solving a problem that no one has. You know, if it's, um, when you, when you have somebody who's too attached to whether it's a product or an idea that they have, even one of the most common attachments is, um, an idea of what somebody believes a entrepreneur should be or look like or sound like, or act like, um, it's no different than, you know, you walk into a restaurant and uh, you expect a waiter or waitress to act in a particular way. And if they don't, then, you know, if somebody just randomly walks up to your table, for instance, um, not wearing, you know, the, the black apron and with a notepad and asking, you know, introducing themselves and asking you what, uh, what you'd like to drink. You may not consider this person that's walking up to be a waiter or waitress instead. You know, they're just a random person that walks up. Oftentimes we take that same con those same concepts of we've seen entrepreneurs. Our parents talked about entrepreneurs in a, in a certain way. And we project that into how we believe we should act. And so, that's that's one piece. So oftentimes, the t- to fully answer your question, Richard, the uh, one piece of it is just the inability to act to clearly see what's going on in front of them. But then the other is also not being able to understand what's going on inside of them, in particular um, how they make decisions. Because when you bring together people um, and create an organization, often what you're, I mean, really what you're doing is you're you're putting people together that are all making decisions to bring that organization closer to a particular goal, and if you yourself don't understand how you make decisions and what qualifies as a good decision, then it's nearly impossible for you to hire people and then communicate how you would like to see decisions made.
1: Interesting. How. You know, it, it's so hard to kind of look outside of yourself or look in the mirror at yourself and identify, like, there's a limiting mindset that's holding me back. How do you recommend entrepreneurs, you know, self-examine, basically, or become more self-aware um, to be able to identify, you know, I have this mindset and that's the reason why I'm having a hard time going from 3 to 5 million or from 5 to 10. Um, and it's also interesting, when, when you become an entrepreneur, there's so many mindsets you have to knock down to be able to build a successful business, whether that means 1 million or 500,000. And then when you get there, maybe a lot of entrepreneurs start thinking that, okay, I broke down those limiting mindsets. So why am I not growing from 1 million to 3 or from 3 to 5? Because you think you already overcame those limiting thoughts. But there's probably still more at every level.
0: Absolutely. I mean, I, it, there's always going to be limiting thoughts. And it's likely because. Um, well, it, I shouldn't even say likely. I mean, the, the, the truth of the matter is that the things that brought you the success that you have today are also the, the exact same things that are going to keep you at this level and not allow you to continue to grow. As far as self-assessment goes, one of the most challenging elements is getting people to understand even just their own way of thinking. So one way to see this over time is journaling. That's Probably one of the the best ways to do self-work is to journal but um, In meditation can help and other things where it's just bringing some level of self-awareness but nothing Will create a better mirror than having someone else that you're being completely open with and having open conversations with and so whether that is a coach or a therapist or you know, a forum group with like an EO or a YPO or one of those groups, if, um, you know, as long as you've got a group of other individuals that are, or, or even a single other indiv- individual that you can have these types of conversations with, um, that's where the most value is going to come from. It's very, very hard to do this on your own. And that's, uh, usually one of the, the, initial, uh, mindset shifts that we have to work through with entrepreneurs as well.
1: Interesting. Are there any tactics you've developed to, whether it's to help you with creating like a peak performance mindset or, uh, you know, just being able to fortify your mindset against rejection and and failure and all the different things that you have to face as a founder? Like, do you run, do you have like morning rituals or morning routines? Do you believe in that sort of thing? Oh, I I certainly believe in those things. I mean,
0: I think that um, one of the biggest mistakes that we all make is we wake up and start looking at our phone or our computer or whatever. And it puts us into a very reactive mindset. We're reacting to things instead of taking control. And so by, um, having a a ritual that allows you to just take control of your day from the very beginning, it puts you in a very different state of mind throughout your day. So, um, for myself and, A lot of people I work with, I recommend meditation. I've done yoga every morning for maybe the last four or five years now. Um, The other is journaling once again. Um, I mean, I typically even encourage something as simple as like the first thing that you do after getting out of bed and maybe using the restroom is going and getting a glass of water. And like making that be your first thing that you do is something like choosing to replenish yourself can, can begin to be the, the first step in a, in a more, uh, in a larger sort of structural or foundational change that you can make in your life. But, um, there are no, you know, with respect to, um, sort of stealing yourself, um, against the, um, the challenges that you face in this, in this life, there's really not a, uh, a way to overcome sort of the, the emotions that are going to, to come up because no matter what you do, if you, um, repeat the same action enough times, you're going to dull the effect of fear or pain or whatever it is that you experience from that particular action but the moment that you change it just like if you go to the gym and you do the same thing every day the results are going to diminish over time and you're also not going to get as sore but the moment that you change things up that's when your body is going to react and you're also going to get sore once again so if you're always pushing yourself the issue is not how do i not experience these things it's learning to develop a different type of relationship with them. So, um, that can be developing the relationship of um, understanding that those emotions, and this is what I I work on with most of my clients is understanding that the emotions that you experience are not something that need to influence your perception of the world or who you are um, or how you act. Instead, it should be really no different than, you know, the sound that you hear or the the tact the tactile sensation of touch. It's really your sixth sense of how your body's interpreting all of the outside um, stimuli that's coming in.
1: What do you think determines? And I guess this is specifically towards the founder and the personality or the characteristics of the founder, how they how they operate. What do you think determines whether a company goes from having, let's say some success, whether it's 1 million a year or 3 million a year, like the people you coach, to being able to go to 20 million a year or even just 10 million or even 100 million a year? Uh, What is it about a founder that's going to determine whether they have the leadership to get a company there?
0: Well, I, I, what you've asked me there, Richard, is is a pretty loaded question because first, first we need to – you use the word success and you're also correlating that to revenue within a company. So um, one of the reasons I like working with founders is um, founders as opposed to an investor per se. A founder's uh, view of success can be dramatically different, right? So the founder that takes a business from 1 million to 20 million – may actually not view that as a success in a holistic sense they may be miserable with the life that they've created for themselves so um, one of the things that as far as creating a sustainable company that gets to that level um one of the biggest things that i believe influence that influences that is the founder's ability to get very clear on what their personal motivations are And to be able to act from a place where the revenue is really nothing more than a side effect of the pursuit of whatever it is that the that the founders is is wishing to achieve. You can, of course, push this. And a lot of a lot of people build up companies out of nothing more than fear. Uh, Most of us are not. Trying to achieve success instead. We're actually seeking to not be not successful We don't want to be the person who's seen as not successful. That's what, you know, Gary V Reminds us every time we watch (laughs) one of his videos is he's really just instilling a type of fear in us and we Interpret that fear as motivation because that's actually what most of us use as motivation, which is um, very disempowering and and puts a lot of us in a place of not being in control But I think that the the number one thing that you're going to see as far as um, consistently seeing a founder who can build up a company, stick with it and develop a company that's sustainable at a much higher revenue level is somebody who is not focused on building up the revenue, but creating additional value in a manner that reflects their own personal values and we can name any major founder anybody who's built any massive company and i'll bet you that we can find those exact characteristics amongst them um with except there will be some exceptions but the notable ones are going to be you know like enron and things like that where it it doesn't it, it doesn't um create something that's sustainable and um, clearly not only flies in the face of the values of, I mean, maybe not of the founder, but at least certainly of uh, society as a whole. Mm. Wow.
1: This is great. I feel like I'm going through a coaching session or something right now. (laughs) So as an entrepreneur yourself, what have been some of your greatest growth experiences or lessons that you've learned from building your company?
0: One, so one of the biggest lessons I learned was actually related to some of the stuff that we're talking about right now. Um, there was a certain individual who he was well known in the city where we were doing a number of deals at the time and he was well known for being extraordinarily hard to deal with. And, um, he, he was also known for, uh, grossly, uh, undervaluing and, and, um, like operating his, his properties at a suboptimal level, basically would rent out something for a thousand dollars that should go for say $10,000 because he didn't know how to operate it. Um, he was somebody who was so focused on image and, you know, being able to say, Hey, I've got this property, I've got this amount of money and was the most miserable human being I've ever met in my entire life where on the surface he was somebody who um, was very much the thing that most entrepreneurs when starting out would say hey I want to be just like this person Um, the more I got to know this person um, including getting sued by him and a number of other things (laughs) Um, having done business with him and thinking that I could be the person that could um, finally get a deal done with this very difficult person Um, it taught me that you know there is so much more than pursuing this identity and that's what most of us are doing when we create a, a business oftentimes is we're creating this identity for ourselves and rather than working on ourselves as an individual and then our business as an external venture. What we do is we self identify and we say, you know, I am an entrepreneur. I am the founder of this company. I, you know, I live and die with the way that people you know, react to what it is that I do through my company. And it's understanding that that identity as an entrepreneur is completely separate from you and that the revenue and all these other things that People look at well, yes, it might get you a seat at a table. It doesn't mean that anyone's gonna like you anymore It doesn't mean that you're gonna be any happier. It only means that you know, you've done something that society deems as It not necessarily valuable It just means that society realizes that there is value in having you there because they may be able to take something from you so if you if you focus your work on Solely creating that image of a successful entrepreneur, even if you are successful in society's view um, It's not going to solve any of the personal challenges or problems. There's not going to be an aha moment like wow I hit ten million dollars in revenue and man now I I'm no longer fighting with my wife My parents are proud of me. Finally um, You know my dog listens to me Um None of that stuff happens. All of a sudden, you know, you you get to that point and you realize everything I've been working for and I've spent, I've dedicated my life to is actually, if anything, sucking the happiness out of my life. And so it's how do you find that balance and create something that you truly believe in and that you truly want to dedicate your life to? Because when you find that, um, work ceases to be work and you also are going to be a much better leader to the people around you. People will naturally want to follow you. You don't have to worry about you know, the hiring tactics as much. You don't have to worry about hacks and things like that because um, it's amazing how when you're dedicated to something and it's in alignment with your, your own personal life purpose and you understand what that is, um, a lot of the resistance that we all face um, seems to disappear.
1: Pursuing a purpose over pursuing an identity. I like that
0: And and an identity Richard is it could be something as simple as you know Being wealthy right or being a member of Soho house. Yep. All those things are I mean That's nothing more than identity that that doesn't define who you are that's just how you try to make sense of the person that you see in the mirror every day and then we go post on Instagram and the more likes that we get, we therefore feel like that's validation. Like, Oh, other people see me as this person. So now I feel better about being this person.
1: When it comes to your own personal growth and and becoming better every day, is there a book that's made a huge impact on you as, as a founder or as a person? There's been a lot. I mean, I think that the, the
0: one that, is, that personally has made the biggest impact for me in both my personal life and as a founder and entrepreneur um would be the Tao Te Ching, which I think that that is probably one of the most um number one, one of the most misunderstood books, but also one of the most profound when it comes to leadership. Um, but Outside of that, I would say um, Another leadership book that's not necessarily focused on leadership that um, Opened my eyes to so much and in, in the world of leadership is a book called deep survival by Lawrence Gonzalez. it's a book about who lives and who dies in certain survival situations and what's fascinating is if you read it through the view of a business leader you realize that what causes human beings to be successful at living in many situations is exactly the same thing that causes a business to be successful or an individual leader to be successful and it's something that we all have innately within us and so if we stop listening to the herd and we start listening to what our gut is telling us and we start listening to what's in inside of us that is what will lead us to be a better leader in all areas of life.
1: Interesting. We'll put those books in the show notes as well. I'm, I'm going to check those out. Could you tell us a little more about uh, switching over to talking more about the Founders Organization? Tell us more about the community and and how you've seen it impact your members and also who's an ideal candidate to be a member.
0: Absolutely. Um, so the, the group itself was really... Born out of a realization that the number one thing that founders lack is community and people who understand what they're going through and a place where that's understood so that they don't have to continue to Give the appearance of being a successful entrepreneur. They can actually say hey guys, I'm i am going through a really difficult time. Um, my co-founder and I are fighting and I'm being sued by my biggest supplier and to have that place where they can let their guard down. And so what we've created is a group that is restricted to founders who are the people who were there at the creation of the company. This isn't somebody who got you know, a founder stock in a company. They were actually there prior to legal formation prior to any sort of revenue or funding or anything like that and have built their business into um, a minimum of one and a half million dollars in revenue or about three million dollars in funding or they've sold a company um, within the last three or four years and so this space that we create is both online and in person so our Events, like the dinners that we host, are um, smaller groups. We don't try to bring 30 or 40 people together at a time. We bring together you know, 12 to 16 people maximum. Um, and actually, typically, our best dinners are the ones that people enjoy the most are 8 to 10 people. And we take away everybody's phones and business cards. And we don't actually have an opportunity for anyone to talk about their their work the only introductions that we offer for everybody is a chance to talk about their, give their name and talk about just some element of what's going on in their life. I won't give too much away about how that goes down, but it feels very, um, it doesn't feel forced. It's a very natural, uh, setting. And then we also do, um, what we call our experiences. These are multi-day, trips that we do with our members where our next one is, uh, in Charleston, South Carolina. And that's, uh, that's going to be similar to some of the others that we've done where we rent a large house. Um, everybody who is attending stays in the same house together. So once again, these are smaller groups, typically 30 people or less. And some of these houses that we're able to get are massive, But everybody can get their own room. We bring in private chefs and we have all sorts of very unique exclusive activities for people when they attend these. But the idea being that while you're going through these activities, you're connecting with people who are your peers. You are developing deeper relationships in a very unforced and natural way because the ultimate goal is to create really a lifestyle where, you're more comfortable with who you are, you're more comfortable as a founder, you're more comfortable talking about your challenges. And it doesn't need to be strictly like in a, you know, f- from, you know, noon to two o'clock on the first Tuesday of every month. This is instead a uh, ongoing time when an uh, ongoing relationship really that you're building with with the people who are your peers. We also do, um, a lot of, uh, groups via video conference as well. So we've got, um, mastermind groups and what we call circles, um, that are for our members. The mastermind groups are either industry or, um, topic or situation focused. Whereas the master or the uh, circles are really just a Variety of different people that come together to have conversations about any challenge that you're facing within your your life or business So those are really like a very tight-knit peer group um, We also do a lot of we do AMA's with a lot of um, industry leaders. We've had everyone from the um, the person who's uh, who led the Trump campaigns uh, Social media push inside of Facebook so hearing about what was going on inside of Facebook to um, some of the largest uh, coin issuers uh, in the cryptocurrency world to um, art experts telling uh, our members how to start their art collection for you know 10 or $15,000. And um, so we bring these people together as well. So we really try to, to make this a place where um, we're creating additional value not just in their professional lives, but personal lives, and um, hopefully creating a, a more well-rounded founder and uh, a more successful one at the end of the day.
1: And I was actually I was at a Founders Organization event in New York when when you did the tour of uh, the MOMA museum, and that was yeah. that was a great experience. Well, what's your vision for the Founders Organization in the next five years?
0: So our goal is to right now we're we're rolling out community managers in a number of cities across the country. And in the next five. Well, if we're having this conversation five years from now, I'm hoping that you're going to see us having uh, community managers in major cities around the world. We've actually been having to hold off on bringing on members um, throughout areas of Asia and Europe that really want to join. Um, because we just simply can't support them locally yet, and um, you're going to see many, many more opportunities to, on a regular basis, like uh, literally on a weekly basis, to meet one-on-one or in person with other founders in any major city across the country, whether that's a dinner, or a coffee, um, a private museum tour, a uh, box at a at a sporting event. But you're going to have our members are going to have a strong peer network of founders who um have become those rare individuals who have taken an idea and created an organization out of it um also i won't be leading it (laughs) my my goal is to to have somebody really hopefully by the end of next year that can take over the role that i'm that i'm currently uh in and uh continue to run this organization so i can just enjoy being a member
1: Interesting. That's awesome. Brian, thank you for coming on the show today. I, for anybody who's a founder, who's listening, like you should go back and and listen to this show twice and take notes. I'll I'll probably do the same uh, because there's just so many great insights about how to develop yourself to be the kind of entrepreneur that, that builds, you know, a really successful company, no matter what that measure is for you. Uh, what, what's the best way for people to connect with you?
0: Probably the best way would be to, um, just go to the foundersorganization.com. Um, there's various ways you can sign up on there. You can feel free to um, shoot me an email, Brian at the com. And then, uh, lastly, if you're a founder, find our um, Facebook group. We've got a group called the Founder Salon. and. Uh, we've got uh, close to a thousand founders. We make sure everybody that joins is a founder of some sort, but it's free and it's just our service to, uh, to the founder community out there. So um, that's a great place to go ahead and get engaged in a community of peers, at least online and digitally. So um, just search Founder Salon on Facebook and I'm sure you'll find us.
1: Cool. Brian, thanks for coming on the show
0: absolutely thank you so much for having me richard i really appreciate it and you're you're doing some amazing work there in new york as well so thanks i appreciate it man